Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Well, good morning, Calvary. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 15 today. We're jumping back into our series on the book of Acts. We started this about a year or so ago and uh, been working our way through that book. Acts chapter 15, we're going to start with verse 36 today. You know that like it seems like nowadays every day has like some kind of special thing. Like all these different like niche groups say, well, this is national such and such day. Like, you know, there's like a national cheeseburger day. And then there's things like national talk like a pirate day. Are you aware that's a real thing? Like that's... That's real. Today, I, I just read this. Three things. Today is a triple holiday. July 29th is, and here's the three, National Lipstick Day, to which I go, why? And, and then, um, get this, National Chicken Wing Day and National Lasagna Day. You didn't know you needed those things, did you? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Now, here's the deal. Let's just help me out here. Be honest with me. Let's say, and, and some of you, I know you have this very holy diet that, that you're keeping. Let's say today's your cheat day, all right? Show me my chicken wing people. Who, who are the chicken wing folks? Okay, we got this. How many of you are the lasagna people? Let me see your hands. How many of you have both hands up? Okay, all right. Now, here's what I've done that you have no idea has just happened. I have just subliminally, have you say that word, subliminally, Planted in your brains what you think you want for lunch now. And it's either chicken wings or lasagna. And that's going to be on your mind as you leave here. The problem is, is if you came with somebody else, they might not be thinking the same thing. You're going to get in the car already for chicken wings, and they're going to go, where do you want to get lasagna, right? That's how it's going to happen. And I have just caused a fight to happen in your car for the first time today. No, it's Sunday. Probably not the first time. So this is how this works, right? These two good things... Right? They're not bad things, but when people have different ideas about them, can create conflict. Today, we're going to look at a story in Scripture about what happens when there's conflict in a relationship. The story's about the, the two guys who've kind of been at the center of what we've read about in the book of Acts up to this point, Paul and Barnabas. The last two chapters have been all about this first trip that they took to go out into places where the gospel had not been preached before. They started churches. They served as some of the very first missionaries to go to these places. They've started something new. They've been a dynamic duo, and we've just read about how in Acts chapter 15, we spent several weeks talking about the Council of Jerusalem where in, in a very monumental way, the church came together in a place of incredible unity. And on the tail end of this story about unity, we get to a story about conflict. Don't be surprised that when there's seasons of great unity that you're not prone to a time of great conflict. Have you found that to be true? Don't let it catch you off guard. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because they had deserted them, because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Paul says, Barnabas, we had this really good trip where we went and started these churches. We probably should go back and check on them and Make sure they're healthy. Make sure they're growing. Kind of answer questions they have. Help them continue to move forward as a church. Barnabas said, man, Paul, that's a great idea. You know who I'd like to take with us? Let's take John Mark with us on this trip. I think that would be a really good idea. And do you see what just happened here? Chicken wings and lasagna. <laughs> there's this point where there's these two things, and they can't agree on them. So let's, let's rewind for a minute. Who's this guy, John Mark? We'll read about him multiple times in Scripture. We first heard his name in Acts chapter 12 when it talked about the fact that the church in Jerusalem met at his mother's house, which means they had a big house, which means that in that time they were probably some people who were wealthy, some people who had some means. So it's safe to say that maybe Mark grew up in kind of a bit of a sheltered life in Jerusalem. We know that he was a cousin to Barnabas, that somehow they were related to each other. Paul tells us this in Colossians chapter four. So Barnabas and Mark, we'll call him Mark, sometimes he's called John, 
John Mark, we'll call him Mark for today's purposes. He was a cousin to Barnabas. We, we can kind of surmise that he was a very committed Jew. He kept the law, and so he was very devoted to his Jewish religion. And when Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13, the church sent them out to be missionaries. They took some people with them to serve as assistants, and one of those people was our guy Mark. And he traveled with them on this missionary journey for a while. Look at what happened. Mark uh, is mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verse 13, where it says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Why did he leave? Well, we don't know for sure. But we know that scholars surmise some different things. One of the things that they wonder is, was missionary life just too tough for him? Here's this kid who grew up kind of sheltered in Jerusalem, probably a family with some means, and now he's out on the road living the rough missionary life, and he said, mm, I don't know. He might have been a little too weak or a little too spoiled or a little too homesick, and he just couldn't take it. The other thing he might not have liked is when you read about the missionary journey in, in Acts chapter 13 and 14, you see that the journey begins talking about that it was led by Barnabas and Saul, and then at some point it starts to say that the journey was led by Paul and Barnabas, not only is Paul's name changed, but his name comes first, which means he's now become the leader of the expedition. Mark didn't go to be led by Paul. He went to be led by his cousin Barnabas. Maybe he didn't like that change. The other thing that might have been an issue is, is many scholars believe that Mark might have had an issue with Gentiles who were becoming Christians. He probably felt like maybe they should become more Jewish. Remember we talked about that several weeks ago at the beginning of Acts chapter 15? And maybe that was a conflict for him. Maybe he didn't like what he was seeing. At some point, he said, that's it, can't take it, I'm bailing, I'm gone. We don't know whether it's because he was a wimp or because he was a traitor. We just know that at some point, he said, I can't do this anymore, and he bailed, which led to a really interesting relationship problem between Barnabas and Paul, because now Barnabas is caught between his best friend, Paul, and his relative, Mark. That's a sticky place to be, right? And we'll look at this in just a moment, but Barnabas and Paul had very different personalities, they had different vantage points on this thing. They had different past experiences. They were in changing seasons of life. And so now all of a sudden, these two guys who were a dynamic duo have this unique divide that's come between them. It's chicken wings and lasagna. And it's a tough place for them to be. And what we see here, and I'm so glad Luke gives us this insight, is we see that these individuals weren't just Bible heroes. They were Bible humans. They dealt with the same issues that we deal with, these relational issues that come up. And when we see this, what we, we become aware of is that Barnabas was kind of stubborn, Mark was a failure, and Paul appears to be unforgiving. Relational issues. And they're the same kind of things that we deal with in our lives. Let's be honest, we all have them. For, for some of them, we find them in our, in our families. Maybe it's with our siblings or our extended family. Maybe it's an issue with our, our parents or with our children. Maybe somehow it gets wrapped up in our in-laws, right? It fits in there somewhere in the whole scheme of things. For some of you, it might be more of a, a, a relational issue with the person maybe that you're romantically connected to. And let's just be honest, for many in this room, it probably comes down that some of the things we talk about today have to do with issues that you have with your spouse. But there's also issues that we have in our friendships, our other relationships. There's times when there's a misunderstanding or a disagreement there's these times where somewhere there's a lack of communication or there's changes that happen in a relationship. And oftentimes when friendships change, we begin to feel some sense of betrayal in the midst of that. And I'm gonna guess most of us have seen relational problems or issues somewhere, maybe in a classroom if you're a student or in the workplace, maybe at the factory or in the office or wherever it is that you work. You know what it's like to encounter those, those different personalities. There's always the boss, right? Or somebody who thinks they are or wants to act like one. Then there's... Little Miss Two-Face, who acts one way in front of some people and different in front of others. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Don't mention their name, just nod your head. You know who I'm talking about, right? Some of you have Mr. Know-It-All. There's the gossip. Then there's always the person who's the stick that stirs the pot. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then there's always the one that I like to refer to as the irritator. They just have a way to get kind of under your skin. And there's these relationships that happen and people that enter in. The question is then, what do you do? Because I think we all deal with them. What do you do when you have a relationship problem? How do you respond when you have a relationship 
problem. Now look, I I don't want to oversimplify this. I don't want to make this too easy, but sometimes I think we can make something so complex that we forget that there's some basics that we have to handle. What if we viewed some of our relationship problems in the same way that you might consider a math problem? If we took some of the same operations that our teachers taught us to use to solve a, a challenge in the math world, to figure out an equation, what if we took the same answers to a math problem, the basic things, addition, subtraction, division, multiplication, and we use those same concepts to view as a, as, a, as a framework, a lens, as we consider our relational problems? What if we could use some of those same ideas? Today, I want to show you just kind of five thoughts about how math problems might help us a little bit with our relational problems. Use some of those same ideas to help us to work through, and and you might have in your mind already, you might have somewhere a person or a situation, a circumstance, either in the past or in the present that you're working through relationally, and and our hope is that these things will help you to kind of think of that through a little bit today. Let's talk about and do a little bit relationship math today. The first thing that I'd show you is this. Number one is that you need to add effort that if you're facing a relationship challenge or crisis or conflict or problem or whatever word you wanna use, the first thing I encourage you to do is to add some effort. Let me, let me show you this, just to kind of give you a little equation to help us out here. And, and I need some answers and some feedback to make your teachers proud, you ready? So one plus one equals two. All right, so probably one of the most basic first math problems that you ever solved. And why this is important is this, Because when you're just by yourself, you're limited. But when there are two together, when you add something to the situation, it's greater than what you are by yourself. And oftentimes when there's a relational situation, at some point you have to choose to not just ignore it, not just leave it alone, not just let it simmer or fester. You have to add some effort to that thing to help it move forward. Let me show you why I chose the words that I did. Ephesians chapter four, verse three. This is what Paul says. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul says, make every effort, do everything that you can, expend the energy that is necessary so you can bring unity to the situation that you're in. And unity is such an important word there. And there's times when you and I face relational challenges that it's up to us to put some effort into making the most out of that problem. Not just blaming the other person, not just letting it fester and get worse. It's time for us to add some effort if we want to bring this situation to unity. Paul says it again. Look at this. Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and a mutual edification. You might say, I don't know. Man, I don't don't know if I can do that. Let me challenge you. Unity is worth the effort when you find it and you have it and peace comes to a circumstance. There are times where you've just got to learn. Unity is worth the effort that it takes to move that relationship forward. If you're you're in the midst of a a relational challenge right now, just jot down this passage. For us to dig into it would be a whole other sermon. And and, uh, then we'd have to take another offering and everything. So we're not going to do that. But just, just write down Psalm 133. Psalm 133, three verses that talk about how important unity is. And if you're needing unity somewhere in your life or your home or your workplace or or someplace in, in your church relationships, go to that passage. I challenge you, read it every day, maybe even memorize it. Allow it to be a grid that helps you to see, look, unity is worth the effort. And let's be honest, relationships get challenged. We're not talking about a couple of lightweights here. We're talking about Paul and Barnabas, some of the greatest missionaries that history has ever known. They are biblical giants of the faith. And if they face relational challenges, who are we to think that we won't? So what do we do? Look, at some point, you need to add some effort if you find yourself in a place of relational challenge. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Choose to move things forward. Instead of just sitting on it, instead of just waiting for somebody else to do it, you be the one, and don't, don't do it in an obnoxious way. Don't ambush somebody. Don't be sitting in their driveway when they get home from church today. You know what I'm talking about, right? But that's creepy. But with wisdom, right, take the time to go, I need to move this thing forward. Use the initiative. Here's what James says. James chapter 3, verse 18. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. 
when you're willing to be a peacemaker, when you're willing to take those steps, there are benefits and there are blessings that come back to you. There is reward. So let's choose not to allow this to fester and grow inside of us. Here's here's another passage. Paul writes this. Let's just take anger for an example. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. Do you see the contrast here? James says when you're a peacemaker, God's blessings come into your life. Paul says when you hang on to that anger, when you hold on to that relational issue, it actually gives the devil a place where he can have territory, valuable real estate in your life. And so this is important to consider. What do we do in these things? So if, you, if you've got a relational issue right now, here's a question that, that might be wise to ask. What kind of conflict are you dealing with? What, what is this challenge? What is this conflict that is right there in front of you right now? And you have to ask some questions. You have to ask, is this sin? Like if it's a sin issue where someone is asking you to sin or there's been a sin committed, then God's word helps us to know kind of easily Then this is something that needs to be addressed. It might not be easy to address, but it's something you have to consider. Sometimes you have to ask, is this trivial? Like, does this really matter? What are the long-term implications of this? And do I need to really address this conflict or is this something that when the heat of this moment is done, I'm gonna look at this and go, ah, this is just silly. It really doesn't matter that much in the big scheme of things. And sometimes it's a matter of principle where you go, no, I I have to respond to this. this. This goes against what I believe or this goes against who I am and I have to stand my ground and hold on to what I believe about this thing. Here's my encouragement with this though. We like to say, I'm gonna fight the good fight. You ever heard anybody say that? Like I'm gonna fight the good fight. Make sure you're fighting the right fight. I know sometimes people think they're fighting the good fight and it's the wrong fight. It's a fight that doesn't matter. It's a fight you can't win and you just end up with people hurt and energy wasted. Make sure you're fighting the right fight. So you go, okay, Chad, that's cool, but, but I'm in this situation and I look at what's going on here and I say, I can see where another person is the point of contention in this relationship. See the conflict? It's because of what they did to me. It's because of how, and let's just use these words, it's because of how they sinned against me. What do I do in that situation? Man, Jesus makes it really clear. He gives us some some basic framework. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you and all of your friends on Facebook. (laughs) You get my point, right? Okay. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You see the process here? He's saying, look, you you start one-on-one, and then if that doesn't work, there's other steps that you take. But what you're not supposed to do, what we don't see Paul and Barnabas do anywhere in Scripture, is throw mud at each other, or throw stones at each other, or try to slander one another, or say things that are unkind about each other. You have that interaction between the two of you, and then expand it if you need to to make it work forward. But here's some questions to ask. Before you go and challenge that person one-on-one, what have you said to yourself, what is in the other person's heart? Like, what's really in their heart? Now, look, you're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. I I don't know exactly what someone else is thinking or what's going on in their life, but I do know this, that there are times when I need to consider what's driving them. What's their motive? Do they have evil intentions? Do, Do they have my best interest in mind in what they're saying? Do they hold the same biblical convictions that I hold to? Because if they don't think about life through the same scriptural lens that I do, then, then we're going to disagree on some things even as I go to confront them. Does that make sense? So you have to ask what's in their heart. The other thing I'd encourage you with is you have to ask what's in the other person's history. Like, like what do I know about that person? Am I just the latest in a long string of conflict in their life? Sometimes we just kind of have to look. And you know it's true that many times where there's smoke, there's... And what about me and this person? Have we had issues in the past? Do I need to consider some of that history as we go and confront? And the idea is with that in mind, and we'll talk about how to do that in just a moment, with those things in mind, I need to take initiative. And there may be moments where I've got to go, yes, that person is the point of contention. They've sinned against me. There's other moments where I have to go, am I the point of contention? Have I also sinned against them? 
Am I the one who's raised this conflict? Listen to what else Jesus said. This one's not as fun. (laughs) He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. Jesus said, look, before you try to get all spiritual, make sure you take care of things that are relational. If people have an issue with you because of something you did, make it right with them before you try to do great things for God. Here's a question you need to ask. What is my role in this conflict? So many times when I'm talking with people who have have a, a relational issue, a problem in a relationship of some kind, you can tell if everything they're saying is about the other person and just about what the other person has done, that's kind of a bit of a red flag because they're failing to recognize the role that they've played. Does that make sense? This is fun, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, look, I can remember several years ago, there was an issue, and I, I got caught up in this whole thing, and in the midst of it, I let somebody down in the midst of this whole relational whirlwind that was happening. I failed. I messed up, and I needed to, to address that and take the initiative to talk about that, but every time I saw this person, every time we, we, we passed in the hallway or we had a conversation, it was just awkward and weird. You ever been there? I mean, it was just this, this strange tension until finally at some point I, I had to just go, look, here's, here's the deal. This is where I failed you and I need to ask you to please forgive me. And in that moment, there's a freedom that comes to me. There's a freedom that comes to the relationship and it's not easy to do. But if you want to move things forward at some point, you have to own your role in the conflict, which actually takes us to the second thing for us to consider today. First, add some effort to this. The second thing is you've got to subtract self. When you are working in the midst of a relational issue or challenge, maybe the best thing you can do to address that problem is to subtract self. Let me show you what I mean by that. Here's the deal. This is uh, some more pretty basic math. One minus one equals, anybody? Zero. And here's what I mean by that is that oftentimes when there's an issue, if I want that issue to go away, something's got to be removed and sometimes it's me. Like sometimes I've got to have the, the humility or the love or the wisdom to recognize that there's a part of me that I need to take away. I'm not talking about giving up. I'm not talking about being manipulated. I'm not saying that you stand for abuse or injustice. What I'm saying is sometimes, and we'll see the the practicality of this in just a moment, the best way for me to deal with an issue is not to blame you. I've got to subtract myself from that situation. Here's here's some scriptural ideas that kind of come with this. You, you have to choose to move things forward if you're going to add effort, but sometimes if you're going to subtract self, you've got to choose to hold things back, that there's some things that you've got you've to hold back in a circumstance. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Anybody say, I wish you told me that sooner? <laughs> right, there's these times when the most effort that I need to give to a situation is not to do something, it's to not do something. It's to choose to stand clear of something. Again, I'm not talking about wrongful compromise or not standing up to injustice. I'm not talking about being abused or manipulated. There are times when you need to get yourself out of the way. Here's three scriptures from Paul, all of which he wrote after his conflict with Barnabas. And I've got to wonder if any of this was still running through his brain. Philippians chapter two, verse two says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Interesting, he says, don't just look to yourself, but see the world through the lens of other people and their interests and what's best for them. I've found that if I'm willing to back off and, and get myself out of the picture and think through things with a different lens, humility allows for greater clarity. It helps me see the situation more clearly if I can see it beyond just my own prideful perspective. Because the reality is I'm prone to just View someone in the worst possible light sometimes, especially when there's a conflict. My mind, yours doesn't because you're more holy than I am, but mine jumps to the worst possible conclusions about someone without hearing the whole story. There's a lady in in, uh, Canada 
who for whatever reason had to recently rent a car. So she went to the car rental place. She got her car. They gave her a, a black Nissan Sentra. When she left there, she had to go to the store, and so she stopped by, the, they said, a Walmart. She went into the store. It was kind of a new kind of car and everything to her, so she left. It had one of those key fobs, you know, that you stick in. She just left it in there, you know, when she went into the store. Went in. When she came back out, there was this whole sea of cars. She got what she needed, came back out. She's a little bit flustered. She knows she's driving a Nissan, and she kind of looks around, and so she goes, and she gets in this black Nissan and goes home, and she has it for about two weeks, and when she takes it back to the rental car place, she says, look, the car was great and everything, she says, but I'm just not impressed at all with the way you take care of your vehicles. This vehicle was dirty, it was unkept. There was even a, a, a set of golf clubs that was left in the trunk. <laughs> and the guy behind the counter at the rental car place says, ma'am, I, I don't recognize these keys. What, what kind of car is this? And she says, well, it's that black Nissan Infiniti out there. And he says, well, ma'am, we, we gave you a black Nissan Sentra. And they start looking this through, come to find out when she walked out of Walmart, she found a black Nissan that had the key fob in it and she just took it. For the last two weeks, the police have been looking for that stolen car. <laughs> they went back to Walmart, there's the rental car still sitting there. The police's quote about her said that when she called them, she was, quote, confused and a wee bit embarrassed. You think, right? In this situation. Now, on paper, what is she? She's a thief. She stole that other dude's car and his golf clubs, right? That was the thing. If you just want to talk about the details, they should throw the book at her because she stole somebody's car. We're talking three to five years for that, depending on how they came down on her. Here's the truth, though. Here's, here's the reality of the situation. She didn't steal a car. She had a misunderstanding. She was confused. She didn't do what was wise in the whole situation. But it's not that she was a criminal. She was just... You fill in the blank, right? <laughs> the reality is many times I look at a situation through my viewpoint and I want to throw the book at you. I want to just view you through my lens when there might be more to the story if I'll humble myself and think about that. So what do I do in that circumstance? Well, here's another passage from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. You, you've probably heard it before. He says, in defining love, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Did you see how many times it said not or no? Like when Paul defines love, he doesn't just do it based on what you do. He does it a lot based on what you don't do. He says you don't envy. You don't boast. You don't be prideful. You don't dishonor. You're not self-seeking. You're not easily angered. You keep, this is a tough one, you keep no record of wrongs. I've got an app for that, right, for keeping records of wrongs. The Bible says if you love someone, you don't. Here's what love does. Love says that even though there's an issue here, I'm gonna take away what I could do so that I can help to remove that issue in this circumstance. Love subtracts what fuels a conflict. You let love subtract what fuels a conflict. Look, this is where, and, and, and so many times in the church, we find ourselves where people go, Pastor, can you help me in this workplace, family, neighborhood issue? What's the right thing for me to do? And a lot of times I'll hear people say, look, I just want peace. And then they walk away and they just do something that's gonna stir up more conflict. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And they wanna blame the other party. And for crying out loud, I, I just, I would say stop it. If you really wanna walk in love, why do you keep adding things that fan the flame of conflict? Now look, here's, here's the tricky part about when we're talking about relationships. Relationships are not just one person, right? It's, it's multiple people. So as much as I can talk to you about doing the right thing, that doesn't mean that other people are hearing this that are in the midst of that conflict, right? Which makes it a little tricky. And the reality is just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that somebody else is gonna respond in the right way. So why do we talk about this in a very personal way today? Because you only have control over you and what you do, not what the other person does. And when you stand before God, God's not gonna ask you about that other person's actions. He's gonna ask you about your actions. You're gonna give account for what you do and for how you respond. 
And I know that oftentimes we may respond in the right way. We may add and subtract, and that doesn't mean that the conflict's gonna be resolved. That doesn't mean that the other person is gonna do the right thing, but it does mean that you're doing what you need to do. There's this old leadership principle that says that as you go through life as a leader or just, just whatever you encounter on a daily basis, you're gonna encounter fires along the way, just to use a metaphor. They might be little fires, they might be big fires, but as you walk along, you're gonna encounter these fires and you need to picture in your mind that you're carrying two buckets. And one bucket is filled with water and the other bucket is filled with gasoline. And what happens to that fire is all determined by which bucket you pour on it. You have to choose which bucket you're gonna empty out on the fires that you face in life. Paul says this, Galatians chapter five, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Some of us are good at provoking other people because it's fun, isn't it? Like sometimes when we just know how to push their buttons. Can you think of anybody who knows how to push your buttons? Can you think of anybody whose buttons you know how to push? Here's my encouragement. Stop pushing buttons. You ever gotten in an elevator where somebody who thought they were funny before you had pushed all the buttons in the elevator? Do you know what I'm talking about? It makes you so irritated because it means that you have to stop on every floor as you're going up or as you're coming down. The truth is at the end of this service, we're gonna have a special prayer time and some of you that have done that can repent of that sin, okay? You button pushers. What's the problem with that? Well, it slows everything down. And it keeps you from getting where you need to go in a timely way. And it causes all these unnecessary interruptions. And when you're trying to bring a, a, a conflict to some resolution and all you keep doing is pushing buttons, it just makes things worse than it needs to be. When you face a conflict, a relationship problem, let me encourage you, add effort, subtract yourself. Add effort, subtract yourself. Here's the interesting thing. Do you remember in school when your teacher would give you math problems? It was never just one and you were done. You'd have to do a whole worksheet before you could finish up. This works the same way. You add effort, you subtract self. You add effort, you subtract self. It's a constant process many times in our relationships, in our homes, in our marriages, in the workplace. We do it over and over and over again. And I'd like to think that it always works, but the reality is that sometimes it's a little more complicated. Sometimes things go a little further. They sure did in the case of Paul and Barnabas. Let me give you a third thing to consider if you're facing a relationship problem. And I'd like to say this isn't the norm, right? You keep adding and subtracting, but sometimes, number three, you have to divide graciously. Sometimes you have to divide graciously. Paul and Barnabas, Acts chapter 15, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement. Remember those words. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. Let's, let's make this look like an equation here, okay? So you've got Paul, who's here, and now there's a division that comes because Barnabas chooses Mark in the midst of this conflict, and one that gets divided by two, what do you have left? <laughs> there were all kinds of answers in the last service. People were like, and, and a lot of you are like, I don't remember, right? I mean, it's, that, it's, it's one half which means what used to be a whole team has now been split in half. Sometimes there's this challenge that we face and division becomes imminent. Why was this such a sharp disagreement? We're talking giants of the faith. Why a sharp disagreement? Well, think about Barnabas. Barnabas is an encourager. His whole life, his, his nickname means son of encouragement. He's someone who sees the value in somebody else and invests in them. Do you know that when everybody else had wanted nothing to do with Paul, when they still thought he was a terrorist to the church, who was the person that reached out and befriended Paul? Anybody remember? Barnabas? Barnabas changed his life. And now he sees something in Mark and is saying, I see something in him. I want to invest. Barnabas is an encourager, but Paul's focused. He's got this laser beam vision that says, we need to get out there and start churches. I'm all in. Mark had his chance. He blew it. I'm not risking it again. I'm not going to let him sabotage our mission. And as I was studying for this, so many theologians want to go, who was right and who was wrong? Like, let's, let's parse out blame here when we think about it. Barnabas was right because he believed in Mark. Or Paul was right because he didn't want to risk that the gospel would not go forward. Maybe it's not that simple. 
It's chicken wings and lasagna, right? Maybe they weren't both wrong. Maybe they weren't both right. We're not exactly sure. We just know this. The Bible says they had a sharp disagreement. The word that's there for sharp disagreement, when you see it other places, has the idea of furious anger and wrath. This was not a reasoned, strategic decision. This was an emotionally charged conflict. It was not healthy. It was not model behavior. They had a fight, and it ended poorly. Look, I know this isn't ideal, and we always desire for a win-win in a situation, and it may look like failure, but sometimes the only way to resolve a conflict might be to separate, to divide. It's friends who go their separate ways. It's business partners who no longer do business together. It's people that you know it's better for you to steer clear of those people. There's times when the poison in a relationship is so strong, you know you have to get away from it. Now, I know this is a little bit of a different road here, and I'm gonna ask you just, just this gets sticky, so stay with me for just a couple of minutes, and please don't hear what I'm not saying. But know this, that there are times in relationships where gracious division is proactive and not reactive. There are times in a relationship when you need to proactively decide to change that relationship. That's not what Paul and Barnabas did. They reacted to the situation, and it was bad, furious anger, wrath, a sharp disagreement. But you can proactively, graciously divide. There's a model of this in Genesis chapter 13, verses 5 through 9, where Abraham and, and his nephew Lot have their herds, and they're out in this land, and they, they, they run out of land, and it's getting too small, and all the people that work for them on either side are quarreling with each other. And finally, Abraham says, look, Lot, let's not quarrel any longer. You go one way, and I'll go the other, because the best thing for us to remain family, the best thing for us to remain friends, and they do, you watch in this passage, the best thing for us is this. It may be that the best way to preserve unity is to divide graciously. Sometimes the best way to preserve unity is to divide graciously. Now, push the pause button for a minute. Here's what you did not hear me say. There was one point where we, we had a, a message that was very similar to this as we talked about this kind of concept and there was a couple that got in the car and as they left, the one spouse said to the other, well, Chad said we can get a divorce now. No, Chad didn't. <laughs> right? That's not what Chad said. Look, sometimes people look for these options in this place. Look, what does the Bible say about divorce? Because marriage is different, right? Marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a commitment before God that you made for life. Matthew chapter 19 allows for divorce in cases of adultery. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 allows for divorce in cases of abandonment from an unbelieving spouse. Adultery and abandonment are the two biblical allowances, licenses for divorce. But if that's not what's in your situation, then you can't get in the car today and say, Chad said we can get a divorce because Chad didn't say it. If you say I said it, I will tell you I didn't say it. <laughs> right? It's different than that. The other thing that I want to make sure you don't hear is that sometimes division is the easy way out. And if you look at a situation, you just go, I just, I just don't like sitting across the table from them at, at Thanksgiving. Or I don't like interacting with them anymore. Look, your option is not a go-to here. Your go-to is add and subtract and add and subtract and add and subtract. And can I tell you that some relations in your life will forever be add and subtract. Can I get an amen? <laughs> right, that's the reality. And so don't just think, oh man, I can just do this because it'll be so much simpler. There is a difference between gracious division and selfish escape. And if you're just trying to run from something, that's not what this is about. And so if you find yourself in a place either where there's a relational challenge where you feel like maybe God is, is opening up the opportunity, he's allowing you to divide in that situation in some way, or maybe you find yourself on the other end of this thing and there's a relationship that's been broken in your life Here's two scriptures I just want to encourage you with. One is this, James chapter 3, verse 14. James says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Do you hear what he said here? When you hold on to that bitterness, that's from the devil. That's demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. If you're in a tough relationship situation, let me encourage you, release the grudge. Because the longer you hold on to that thing, 
The devil has more inroads into your life. Instead, James says, James chapter one, verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Did you hear that? That even in the cases of the things that make you angry, God is able to work out something in your life. Even in those places where somebody does you wrong, even in those situations where you don't like those circumstances, God is able to sharpen and refine you. So release the grudge and embrace God's work. Let him be at work, even in the midst of that relationship conflict. Look, I've been on both sides of this. I know times in my life where I've been in the place where somebody said, ah, Chad, this just isn't gonna work out. Or there's the disappointment that comes from betrayal or whatever. And then I've been on the other side where there's been times where we've said, look, this, we, we, just, we just need to go different directions in one way or another. And all of us have probably been on one, if not both sides of this at some point. And these are difficult times. Look, don't let those things become the things that define you. You, you release that grudge and you embrace God's work. I can tell you this. I'm a terrible driver when all I'm doing is looking in the rearview mirror. You know, there's times where you're driving and you're like, boy, how good do I look today, right? There's those moments when all you're looking at is the rearview mirror, all you see is what's behind you and you, and you don't see what's ahead. And at some point, release the grudge, embrace God's work that he's doing in your life. There's some relationship math here. Add effort that you subtract self, even if it's necessary that you Divide graciously. Let me give you a fourth one real quick, number four, that you multiply God's plan. And this is important for some of you, especially if you are in a place of hurt, you, you've been wounded, you've been disappointed, you've been betrayed, you've been frustrated. You can imagine the feelings and the emotions that Paul and Barnabas had in this moment. It's important that even in the midst of that division, that you recognize that you can multiply God's plan for your life. Acts chapter 15, verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here's the math on this one, okay? If you think about it, what's happened now is they become divided. So instead of Paul and Barnabas being the dynamic duo, now you've got Barnabas and Mark, and over here then you've got Paul and Silas, which means we've got four people who now are going in two different directions. Anybody help me here? Four times two is... Imagine this, that even though this division was something that I don't believe that God wanted, and because it was a sharp disagreement, it wasn't handled in a godly way, God was still able to take the hurt and disappointment and in some way exponentially do more than what was happening before. See, God can take even the hurt and disappointment in your life, even those letdowns and those frustrations, your failures or the failures of someone else, and he can multiply them to accomplish his plan. So my encouragement to you, especially if you're wrestling with this kind of a, an emotional or relational setback, choose to not be sidelined by your setback. Because I watch people do this. I got hurt, so I'm never gonna allow that to happen again. You saw what happened in that relationship, and so, man, I don't know if I'll ever trust a boss again. You know where I honestly hear it the most? Unfortunately, I, I hear it in the context of the church. Yeah, I, I got hurt in that church, or I had disappointment in that church. So I'll never trust church people. I'll, I'll never trust a church. I'll never trust a pastor. Here's where it really comes down to. So many people say, I don't know if I can ever really trust God again. And they become sidelined by their setback when actually God might be the one who says, I can redeem your division and multiply something more in your life. What the enemy would use to divide, God can use to multiply. I'm sure the enemy rejoiced when he thought he'd sideline Paul and Barnabas. Instead, God said, nope, not the way I wanted it, but I can multiply this. I can use this. I can do something with this. And if you're wrestling with this, I'm not saying it's not a sharp disagreement. I'm not saying there's not pain. I'm talking to those of you who maybe in the past or right now are going through the pain of some kind of division in your life. Know this, God may have to allow division for a season to multiply something great in your life. It might be something that God has to do. Which takes me then to the fifth thing. We've talked about you add effort, you subtract self, you divide graciously, and then you, you allow God's plan to multiply in your life. Here's the fifth thing, just, just real briefly. 
When you were in school, your teacher would give you a sheet with some math problems. They'd hand you the test, and then they'd say, number five, take your time. Take your time. Meaning, don't just rush through this. Don't just, don't just set this aside. You make sure that you do this wisely, that you handle this relationship challenge, this math problem or this relationship problem, that you take the time to do it right. Time can be a powerful thing. What we find is that Paul and Barnabas go two different directions. But within about five years, Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth, and when he does, he mentions Barnabas. And he does it in such a way that you know that he affirms Barnabas in his ministry, that he's someone special and important in Paul's life. And then 11 years later or so, Paul's writing again. He's writing from Rome, and he writes in the book of Colossians, and he writes in the book of Philemon, And in both places, he mentions Mark. What's happened to Mark in the meantime? Well, during that 11 years, Mark goes back with Barnabas. And although the Bible never mentions Barnabas again in the book of Acts in this context, we really don't know what happens. We know that somewhere Barnabas saw something in him and invested in him. And he served right alongside of Barnabas back on the Isle of Cyprus. And then from there, somehow he connected with the apostle Peter. So much so that when Peter wrote his letter, he referred to Mark as someone who was like a son to him. Peter, of course, was a witness of Jesus and his miracles, and Peter would preach and tell stories about Jesus. And when Peter would tell these stories, there was a young man with him whose name was Mark. And Mark would write them down, and it's because Mark wrote them down that the second book in the New Testament is a gospel known as the book of? And what's interesting is many scholars believe that Matthew and Luke both used Mark's gospel to help them have some research material to be able to write their gospels. Understand this, if Barnabas hadn't connected to Mark and Peter hadn't entrusted his stories to Mark, there's parts of the New Testament that we wouldn't even have because there was something that happened. And then 11 years later, Paul says, Mark is a a fellow laborer with me. He's a coworker who I trust. And then at the end of Paul's life, he's in a prison. And he says in 2 Timothy, I can see that my race is almost over. I can see that my life is almost done. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Look what Paul writes. He says, and he's, and he's writing to his friend Timothy. And he says, Timothy, only Luke is with me. Tim, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Don't miss this. Paul's on his deathbed. He's at the end of his life, and he writes to his good friend, Tim, and he says, Timbo, don't come alone. Bring Mark with you. Because I know Mark and I had those issues for a while, but I need that guy. He's been so helpful to me. Of all the people Paul could have asked for, he asks for Mark. Time is a powerful thing. Have you ever heard it said that time heals all wounds? I don't know that I fully believe that, but I know that God can use time to heal your wounds. You have to determine how you take your time because time can heal you or time can harden you. And I've seen both happen in someone's life. And if you're working through a relationship issue, you have a disappointment in your past, you're wrestling with this challenge, be mindful what you do with your time because time will either heal you or time will harden you. And my hope is that even in the midst of some of the bitterest relationships in your life, that God can bring restoration. Now, it might not always go back to the way it was. It might not ever be the same, but that you know that you've released the grudge and you've embraced God's work in your life and you've been able to say, that person means something to me. Don't let time harden you. I pray you'll allow it to heal you. Where does this start? Look, I I honestly believe you're gonna have a hard time forgiving other people until you first come to the point where you know that God has forgiven you. Colossians chapter three, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. He says, look, if you want to bring peace to your circumstance, you have to start by allowing Christ to bring peace to your life. Maybe today's a day where you need to say, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, Jesus, I need your peace in my life. Jesus, I need your peace in my relationship. 
God, I need your forgiveness and I need your grace in my life to help move through this issue. And so I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. And I wanna lead us in a prayer that just goes through this, this relationship math here today. And it's possible that for some of you, this was, look, I, I know this, that this was really timely. That there's a place in your family or in your workplace or in your home. There's a place in your church or in your friendships where you can relate to that chicken wing lasagna tension. You're trying to walk your way through it. You're trying to wrestle your way through it. And you would say, God, thanks. I needed this word today. Just kind of from a place of of humility and, and the need for God's peace in your life. If you'd say, God, thanks. I need to do some relationship math in my life this week. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thanks, God. I need to do some, some addition, subtraction in my life this week. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, for some of us, today's been a, a, a reminder and a call that it's time for us to add some effort to a relationship. God, would you give us the courage and the strength to do that? Lord, for others of us, Holy Spirit, you've, you've, you've challenged us that there's self that we need to subtract from a conflict so that things can be healthy and move forward. God, would you allow us to do that and subtract ourselves and show humility and love and, and stop the provocation? Lord, it may even be that for some of us, there's this moment where you're saying it's time to divide. Lord, help us to do it in a proactive and gracious way. And help us, God, not to give up on the addition and subtraction if you're still at work. God, I pray for the one today who's been sidelined by their setback. Lord, would you help them to see that even in the midst of what's been divisive in their life, you can multiply and grow and bless your plan for them in their lives. And Lord, help us to use time wisely. Lord, not that it would harden us against others or the church or God against you. Lord, would you use time to heal our hearts so that we can know your grace in a whole new way? Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. God, would you send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.